the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Wednesday morning, October 30th, we've got Dennis Dodd coming up in just a little bit. But first, some quick headlines. Barton Simmons, uh, how are you doing, man? You know, I'm good. It, it's, it, I don't know if it's maybe a little sad that it is, you look up and as you look at teams' schedules right now, in a lot of cases, there's only like four games left. Like this, it, this is snuck up on us in that the season is practically almost over. Has it snuck up on you? <laughs> it has a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I get it uh, at that by the time it is over, I think it will, we will be ready to turn the page a little bit. But, right. Uh, it just, man, it just feels like there's, there's not a lot of, not a lot of meat left on this bone. The stakes of November for not and not not the college football playoff picture exclusively, but certainly a big part of it is the college football playoff picture. But I'm talking like coaches and their job status, uh, teams on whether or not they go to bowl games or not. Uh, the you know we we might have uh, bananas division races all over the country. You know those. The, the stakes of November give it almost two months worth of meat for us to chew off the bone. Plus, that's, we've got like midweek action coming up. That's always refreshing and comforting. Yeah, just, yeah. To, you know, it, it just, just it, it drains a lot out of you just to even get through the last uh, third of the season. Right. Well, you go in, I mean, you go into the early part of the season and you're just like gobbling up every bit of college football you can find because – because that's there's not a lot of great games, and so you're watching CUSA and MAC, and and then you get into the stretch where you sort of just get caught watching all these Power Five games that may or may not matter. And now November is the time where, you know, the the sort of the big showcases that that are really weighty start to hit, and so. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a good month. It'll, it's going to be a great month. Uh, this weekend, it starts with Florida and Georgia in Jacksonville, and uh, pretty much everybody's getting healthy. Week off came at the right time for both these teams. We already have mentioned before uh, Jonathan Grenard, Jabari Zuniga, two just incredibly key defenders for Florida that were held out against in the South Carolina game. They're going to be back. Uh, also. Florida wide receiver Kadarius Toney, who's been out since the second game of the season, 
uh, pretty elite pass catching, athlete, elite athlete, and uh, great weapon, I guess I should say. On, I'm, I'm not going to stretch that far with Kadarius Tony as a pass catcher, but hey, he can catch some passes. Uh, and arguably the best wide receiver pass catching threat for Georgia is also going to be back. Lawrence Cager, the transfer from Miami. Uh, among all these different headline headlines with uh, the Bulldogs and the Gators getting healthy, does any one of them stick out to you as potentially swaying how you're expecting this game might play out? No, I didn't sway it, but I think it's fun to see that these are going to be relatively full speed, full health teams. I mean, Lawrence Cager is critical to Georgia because all they do is throw back shoulder fades. That's that's <laughs> right. the only pass route that they employ. Yeah, and so he's the best one of those guys to to catch those back shoulder fades. And Kadarius Tony's a—he's kind of a, a joystick, Swiss Army knife kind of guy for Dan Mullen, and we haven't really even seen a whole lot about, um, you know, how to use him this year. And so I think he'll—he could be fun. The D linemen obviously are critical there, so I just think it's—I'm encouraged that this is going to be a relatively full speed game. Do you? Are you? Where are you leaning towards playing this thing? Are you going to have a, a lock on it tomorrow? No, I don't think I'm going to have a lock on it. I'm if if I might be able to talk myself into uh like an under total play or maybe like a or go full tilt and flip it to an over. My expert pick is Georgia minus the six and a half, but that's way too many damn points for this game. Like we like there's we're going to have what? Maybe like six field goal attempts, one of them's blocked, one of them's missed and we just don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, that, I mean that's just that's a well, I'll I'll save. I guess I'll save the breakdown for bar. I don't know if I'm gonna play it either, but um, it's an it's a it's a pretty interesting game. I I believe. I, I and the other reason I won't hand it out as a lock is because it is one of those picks where I am. Um, it's it, it it's like just right out of the Barton Simmons book. Are, are you gonna judge a team based on what you think it is or on what it's been? And my pick that Georgia will win the game is based on a belief that after kind of losing itself and after kind of, you know, having some weird funky weeks that include the loss to South Carolina, the deluge uh, against Kentucky kind of weird game that just, just a chance to hit the reset button and refocus. We might have like a, Oh yeah, that's right. That's why Jake from is, uh, is we talk about him the way that we talk about him, you know, like that, that Georgia will just remember that it's Georgia again and end up winning this game like, uh, I don't know, like 31 to 20, something like that. But yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's, that's, that's, I mean, it's a weird line. It's a weird line. I feel like that's a bigger number than I would have expected. So that, that there must be something up. There's, there's something under the surface that I'm not seeing. Or, or it's just the power rating. They're just looking down at their thing. They're like, I don't know. Look at all these six, five, 330 pound offensive linemen that are all going to the NFL. They, they should be able to protect, uh, they should be able to protect Jake Fromm and, and be able to establish the run for Deandre Swift. I've, I've got Georgia rated like this. I've got Florida rated like this because of their talent, Georgia minus six and a half. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it more with Dennis Dodd here in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that my belief in Georgia is based on a belief that it can become a team that it hasn't been in at least a few weeks, and I understand that's dangerous. So that's why it's not a lock. Well, there you go. Hey, you want to do a take reaction? Sure. Reaction to a take? Yeah. Uh, what is your reaction to, the, to Paul Feinbaum's very reasoned take that 
Brian Kelly is 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 not good enough for Notre Dame. Basically, <laughs> what was the take? I don't I don't want to hyperbole the hyperbole. So I guess it was. He's not championship caliber. I believe right, right. was the uh, yeah. the the quote. That sounds right. Your job as the head coach of Notre Dame football is not to win a national championship. Is my response. Go on. I I think that you you are expected to compete at a high level, and I think that you're expected to uh, you know beat your rivals. And I think that he could do a much better job. Brian Kelly's record against the best of the best could be better, but to expect national championships, like there's only one national champion every single year. We can't have national championship expectations for twelve schools. It's, it's just not. Uh, it's not the way it works. And if you're able to get, you know, some recruiting cycles together and get up to the college football playoff, okay, you lost to Clemson. Well, that same Clemson team, white hot, went and beat Alabama 44 to 16. It's like, so you lost to them. That's okay. That last year was a championship contender. As long as you can have these championship contenders and you can put together these, like the 12 and two season with Deshaun Kaiser a couple years ago ends in a, a new Year's six bowl game. Like there's, there is plenty of evidence to suggest that every few years he's going to cycle up and he's going to have one of the best teams in the entire country. Uh, I think the idea of, of measuring, uh, Notre Dame against an Alabama against a Clemson is unfair given sort of what Notre Dame what Notre Dame's role is in college football right now yeah I mean I I actually think that Brian Kelly is coaching some of his best football right now and and in terms of managing the roster managing the team developing the team I think they're good I think that they're positioned to be more competitive than they than maybe they've been uh, over an extended period of time. So I, I, I'm not of the belief, unless, you, unless you're just, unless you really are just, like, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with, so yeah, maybe I agree with you, Chip. Like, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with Feinbaum in that you're not going to be a perennial national title winning team with Brian Kelly because there's only so many perennial national title coaches there's, uh, you know, there's Saban, there's Dabo, and what is that? It the, like, go- the ghost of Urban Meyer, Ryan yeah, Day, and Urban Meyer. <laughs> yeah, it, it, those it's basically those three. So yeah, I guess if you hire Urban Meyer, then yeah, the the ceiling raises. But Urban Meyer, the the administration would have to open up some gates for Urban Meyer to do the things that he has done at other places for them to have the success in recruiting that, that I think you'd have to have at Notre Dame. And so, uh, I, I guess not everyone has to just be lived like, and I know it's Notre Dame, but you got a good thing going here with Brian Kelly. He's going to have you competitive. He's going to have you in cycle up years where you're in the playoffs and maybe you get a cycle up year where you win a national title. It's not outside of the cards, but no, you're not going to be a perennial national title contender. And I just think that can be okay. Yes. Am I, am, am I just like wholeheartedly like not like missing the boat on this idea that it's okay to, to be annually 10 and two or better? No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I do get like, it's at some point, um, good isn't good enough in some programs. I mean, if you are, uh, 
if, if you are in a, a program with a national title ceiling and you're good and you're winning nine games a year, like at some point it's okay to, to want more and, and to, to take a shot and just try to get that coach and get you a national title. But the point is with, with Brian Kelly is he has gotten you to the playoffs. Right. He has gotten you to a national title game. Yeah, he's lost them. But everyone was losing to Clemson like he lost to Clemson last year. And probably everyone was losing to Alabama the way they lost Alabama that year. I, I think the, the point is he's closer than he's been, frankly, in having a roster that is competent year over year. And I, I think they're I think they're inching closer, frankly. I think I think it I think he under he's he's has a better grasp of what it's gonna take. And I think that they're inching closer. And and this is um and so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that uh, he is at Notre Dame, good enough, and that might, you know, that might not, that might not make some Notre Dame fans happy. Maybe they've, they've got higher hopes, but from the outside looking in, it feels like Brian Kelly is, is, is just fine for that job. Well, we've, we've got this, uh, we've got this position with Notre Dame where it, it just, you know, because of who they are, it's always going to be a Notre Dame thing. Why can't we talk about? Uh, why can't we talk about Saturday night as though it wasn't a great win for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan? Like, right. why? Why is the why is the storyline been like? Well, there we go. Classic Brian Kelly at Notre Dame can't compete it's, against the best. It is very odd that Brian Kelly at whatever this year is for him, after just getting to the playoffs, all of a sudden we're like we're oh we're doing this again. Yeah, like, yeah. We're yeah. Back to this like <laughs> is Brian Kelly like the right guy for Notre Dame stuff? Like that's just a that seems a little bit reactionary. That's uh, that's that that is just trying to push Urban somewhere, right? That's that's just trying to push Urban off the Fox set and back onto a sideline somewhere. Just yeah, I don't know, man. And this getting this just starting to feel more and more like a like a reach that Urban lands anywhere. Yeah, I I, w- I do agree with that. Uh, on the Injury front for Notre Dame, Tommy Kramer, really good offensive lineman, out for the remainder of the season, has one year of eligibility left. Remainder of the regular season. Regular season. So I think he could still get there in the playoffs. If Notre Dame's on Or, I mean, not playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> post, post-season. Post-season. Yeah, yeah. no, nah, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll be in the Cotton Bowl against Appalachian State. There you go. Yeah. Uh, uh Travis Dye and Troy Dye expected to get back into the lineup. Uh, Travis Dye, the running back. Troy Dye, the all-star linebacker, expected to get back into the lineup for Oregon as they go to travel uh, at USC. How are, how's your general feel for the Ducks right now? They've also got a road trip to Arizona State. A lot is being put on Oregon from the big-picture Pac-12 playoff perspective. Do you think that Mario Cristobal and this program is ready to, to sort of handle – uh, even remaining in contention, I mean, they they c- could be a top five team uh, by the end of the weekend. Like, are are they ready to to ride this out for November? Where, as we mentioned, every game just has heightened stakes. I think it's good enough to do that. Um, they don't play Utah, right? Regular season, correct. So I think they're good enough to be. Uh, and and I mean, we f- I think we find out this weekend. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna let them slide with the Washington State team that they usually struggle with. Uh, in, in a weird game, Washington State has a tendency to do that. But against a depleted USC team, a game that they're certainly not overlooking, um, this is one they got to go get. And, and I think when – I mean, not, not, not this has to be a blowout, but I don't think it's one that should come down to the last possession. So 
I I'll I think I will make my decision after this weekend on Oregon whether I'm I'm ready to call him for real. Coming up on the other side, Dennis Dodd talking about what he saw in Columbus from Chase Young in Ohio State, uh, name, image, likeness, and looking ahead to Florida and Georgia. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined 20 million this season. Those two guys alone will make 13 million more than the entire Mac. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back to the Cover Three podcast. It is Dennis Dodd, senior college football columnist at CBS Sports. He's the Dodd father, and he is, uh, you know. He is showing up at just the right time. You know, we had texted each other. We thought, hey, you know, it's it's been uh, a couple weeks since we've got a chance to, to catch up on the podcast. And and sure enough, um, you know, what is almost a regularly scheduled appearance now falls in line with one of the biggest stories in all of college sports. And we will get to, um, you know, the name, image, likeness. We've got Florida Georgia to talk about. Dennis, you were at Ohio State uh, in that dominant win in, against Wisconsin. So just... Right now, as you're sitting here, October 30th, is, is do you feel like you are ready to take on the next uh, the next two months? Because it's all downhill from here, man. Yeah, it's all downhill from here. We're, we're, let's see, week nine, so we're all, almost two-thirds of the way through the season. Uh, but it's just heating up, so it's going to be great. Next, and We haven't even mentioned, next Tuesday, the first rankings come out. But um, and, was and it people a, are gonna people a, are gonna lose their minds over that? Hey, what'd you yeah. say? Only eleven of the twenty teams that have been named in the top four of the initial rankings have actually gone on to make it. Yeah, I was gonna mention that. Yeah, of the twenty teams, four four times five years in the in the initial rankings, only eleven have made it through. And I did not. By the end of this uh, podcast, I will look and see how many of those eleven actually won it all. But, it, you know, to me, that's almost a pretty good percentage. Obviously, in the first year, all four made it through. So I'm counting that. So what would that be? That would be then eliminating them. That would be seven out of 15, which is not even half. So pl- don't don't take what you see Tuesday night and go to the bank, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, we will have plenty of time to, to dissect yes. that. Don't you worry. Yes. So you were in Columbus over the weekend, is that right? Yes. So with, okay, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think? Is Chase Young going to be our first defender since Charles Woodson win the Heisman? I think right now he should. There's lots of football to be played. I, I think he's got more as a defensive candidate. 
he's got more going for him than Charles Woodson, who played it, who played away from the ball. Chase Young is closer to the ball, has more impact snap by snap on the play. Um, and, and, his, and Charles Woodson needed playing receiver and returning punts and kicks to complete his uh, to complete his uh, candidate his candidateship, or if that's even a word. This guy has one foot in the backfield before the ball is snapped almost every play. I'm not, I've, I, the last time I saw a quicker get off in college was um, uh, the Nebraska player. Indomitian um, Sue? Yeah, yeah, Indomitian Sue. And he, he was like this, but this guy's more consistent, better. And you saw, yeah, I'll just repeat the numbers uh, six tackles on Saturday against Wisconsin, five for loss, four sacks which uh, tied a school record and then two strip fumbles of uh, Jack Cohn uh, and one set up a touchdown. So and, and he's been doing that all season. I mean, he's been doing it since he got into the lineup in week four last year after Nick Bosa was injured and, and eventually, you know, lost for the season because he decided to go to the draft. Uh, as a, and so as Chase Young as a sophomore was fantastic. Just to remind people, he's leading the country in sacks up there, I think second nationally in tackles for loss, and it, and it's just a force. Now, your to your question, Barton, I, I think it takes some layered thought, and you know you have to sit down and and talk about him as a player, as a Heisman candidate. That's not something that most Heisman voters have. It's I, I compare them to little kittens. See quarterback, vote quarterback. It's like a ball of string. Okay, who's the best quarterback? They they won't they won't have the layer. Unfortunately, they won't have the layered thought. So. Should he win it? Yes, right now. Willie, I don't think so. I think, it'll be a, I think he's got a great chance to be a finalist. Maybe if Ryan Day and, – and I, I'm encouraged by the fact, and I think, Chip, we talked about it on the pod a little bit. You know, he was lining up at middle linebacker. They're, they're, they're scheming to create more opportunities for him as if he even needs that. And so I'm encouraged that they, they seem to be – mapping out a defense that maximizes his strengths that yeah. ne- next step i i kind of hope uh be nice to just see sort of a a gimmick token tight end goal line yeah. touchdown or something yeah. just to get it just to just to yeah. catch the eye of, of some of those simple-minded voters you're talking about that's a great idea what did christian wilkins did it last year a couple times with clemson i think it was him not that he was a particularly a Heisman candidate, but no, they yeah, had the fr- so, they had the fridge package with Christian Wilkins yeah, and yeah. Dexter Lawrence in the backfield. Yeah, that's right. Um, so something like that. But this guy is is just a freak. He looks with the dreads. He looked. He looks like Predator from the old Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. He looks scary, but he's a he's a big teddy bear. Six five two sixty. Um, again, the get off. Is I wanted, you know, who was there? Mike Mayock from the Raiders was at the game. I just wanted to go up to him and, and go, Mike, what do you think? But none of these guys ever talk because even then they don't want to tip their hand regarding the draft. So I didn't do it. I feel like I'm just uh, a cold shower on this situation because, yes, <laughs> I, I would love to see Chase Young get in there in a tight end scenario or maybe get a touchdown. And I do think that some of the defensive adjustments are able to highlight sort of his playmaking ability. But I also think that you're doing that because you're trying to win football games and get to the college football playoff and win a national championship. Like you don't put, uh, you don't put Chase Young in a stand up position so that he can win a Heisman trophy. You do 
it because right. it's going to absolutely terrify opposing offensive lines. And and in this moment, I do think it's a fun conversation. But I I really am attracted to uh, just sort of the the Chase Young and the Ohio State push of all these players that haven't made it to the college football playoff. They've fallen just short. And even the seniors on this team that were there in 2016, wasn't that the 31-0 blanking by Clemson in the semifinals? Like yeah, since I, I believe that's right. Yeah, yeah since w- winning this thing, they won it in 2014, but uh, miss it in 15, 16, they do get in, but lose 31 nothing in the semifinals. Chase Young has not been to a college football playoff. Like I think that you know the only uh, interesting data point that I think I might take from the top four, and I think that there's going to be other interesting data points uh, to look at, especially when we consider the group of five and and sort of how the committee sees some of those teams and the you know six to fifteen range stack it up against each other. But is it is it going to be LSU or is it going to be uh, Ohio State? Because LSU will have not played Alabama yet, and uh, and Ohio State is is going to be off this week, so they are what they are. You know the 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 profiles are set, and we basically get to see, at least to this point, whether the committee is going to lean more towards an Ohio State team that I think has been better, just in terms of, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you judge them against, you know, not not by the names on their schedules, but by how they have played against them. While LSU, if you only are judging on the on paper profile resume might be going that way. So LSU or Ohio State is probably the only thing that I'm interested in for uh, the top four of that initial playoff ranking. Yeah, that that's a great point because I, I've said this for weeks now. Clearly LSU, to me, LSU should be number one just because they've beaten three top 10 teams at kickoff. You know, that now, if you look at the, the, the body of their work, Ohio State is clearly the most complete team. They don't have the schedule that LSU does, but if you look at them, offense, defense, special teams, star power, team speed, they're the best team. But, you know, when, when you're LSU and you, you've dedicated yourself to the spread and you've got maybe the best player in Joe Burrow, I don't know if that matters when you've got the ability to outscore everyone, which I think is going to be the theme of the playoff. But not, not that these traditional powers, not, not the Big 12 team, not just the Big 12 teams, have adapted to this. We're going to see some great shootouts, as we did, you know, with Georgia and Oklahoma, but and Alabama, Clemson. But yeah, I I'm interested to see who they. It will it will tip their their it'll it'll give us a tip on which way they're thinking on that number one team and maybe the top four. Is is Ohio State's defense? They've played. Since they, like they, no one's scoring on them, but it's Cincinnati, Indiana, my Ohio, Nebraska, Michigan State, yeah. Northwestern, Wisconsin. I guess Indiana's got a decent offense. Wisconsin obviously has been able to put up points on people, but they're they're a little one dimensional. How confident are you that this defense is 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 that like is that good? How how I've, good is this defense? Is is there any adjustment that we should make? based on the fact it hasn't really played anyone that we're super excited about offensively. Yeah, I, I'm really confident in that. There's been an entire remake of, of the defensive staff, at least at the top. You, you trade Greg Schiano and um, who was the other? Grinch. Or and Alex Grinch. Not that he was bad, but 
for uh, Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley. And Halfley, they, they, they have co-defensive co coordinator titles. I think Halfley uh, calls the plays, is a rising star, like maybe 40 in his 30s, coached with Day for a year with the 49ers, position coach. And he's just killing it. Um, they've got I, – I, I can't tell you about you know their, their scheme – but they're just playing better. They're playing more certain. They had he was raving Saturday when I talked to him. Damon Arnett, one of their starting corners, has been playing with a broken hand for two weeks, and he led them in tackles. He had seven tackles. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the toughness. I don't have to tell you about Chase Young. Um, and and they they run and they can cover now against an elite team, which you know Wisconsin was supposed to be, but I think we all know going into the game didn't have as much team speed we shall see but i think the biggest thing for me is i don't see that lack of attention from this ohio state team going on the road against an outmanned opponent or any any outmanned opponent like they have the last two years um before we get into uh before we get into this weekend in jacksonville um i Hey, Dennis, how'd you feel when you, you had the story coming in that um, the Big East commissioner, uh, Val Ackerman, and, and several other of the top leaders for the Board of Governors, the NCAA, was going to be exploring, putting forth some proposals that would allow student-athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness. So we get an announcement on Tuesday from the president of Ohio State, uh, Michael Drake. Did I get that right? Yeah. Pulling, okay. And uh, and then uh, everyone did a very poor job of communicating the story to everyone else because uh, <laughs> it's like my uh, Parker comes upstairs this morning. And she goes, "Oh, the number one story on the Today Show is uh, college athletes are getting paid now." And right. I was like, right. Well, uh, "Right, no, that's not that's that's not how this goes." So, Dennis, as as somebody who's been working on this story and, and this common thread, I mean, we had you know a, one of our uh, one of our liveliest. Uh, discussions was about name, image, and likeness with you on this podcast, and and so as we have hit this uh, official turning point, as there at least is a a voice and a unanimous vote from leadership at the top. Uh, how what what are some of the ways that you are uh, finding yourself either trying to debunk myths or at least try and plot out what might happen next? Well, I, real quick, I was on CBSN last night, CBS News's streaming uh, channel. And they were doing that. They they did the lead in. And the NCAA has allowed players to be paid. And I went right on and I said, I told the, the anchor, there's nothing in today's statement that says they're going to be paid. In fact, it's very vague. The term they use is we are going to allow athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. And you better believe in that huddle of lawyers they had at the NCAA that they made that distinction. They're going to try to be as vague as possible because they don't know how this is going to turn out yet. This went from me talking to Bob Bowlesby last week, who's on the who's on the working group, saying, oh, we're going to present a, a core set of principles. He would not go into detail. And then we're going to ask the Board of Governors, which is the governing body of the NCA, for direction. Well, it went from that to yesterday being, hey, we are we have voted unanimously to let this go forward and we're going to direct all three divisions to come up with something. That escalated quickly. Now, yeah, in the big picture, yes, it was a watershed day. I would dare say it's the biggest day legislatively for the NCAA since 1984, and they lost the Supreme Court case, which allowed uh, schools to control their own television rights and profit off that. 
but it's got a long way to go. I thought the wording was very vague. I thought they kicked the can down the road, and they did it yesterday because there are states, as we speak, developing these bills for name, image, and likeness, not just California, not just Florida and Pennsylvania. There are others. There's a federal bill that could be voted on as early as next year, and the NCA sees that. That's their worst nightmare because they just cannot afford to put out these legal fires one by one. So they had to do something now. They're hoping this, this, uh, you know, this, this pushes back, this delays the pressure from the outside, but I don't think it will. They've said they directed the three divisions no later than January, 2021, which is the, the quickest it could get going into the legislative cycle. Guys, the Florida bill is going to come online July 1st. And it's going to supersede whatever is there for the NCAA. I would bet you anything that the NCAA doesn't have squat by July 1st. So that's the next, I think that's the next thing to watch in this whole thing. Yeah, I, I was, the the about face in this, the total 180, I, I almost feel yeah. as, like it's discouraging as opposed to encouraging uh, if you are in favor of name, image, image and likeness because the, the sa- these are like the same people that we're just saying, well, it looks like we're not going to schedule any potty from California because yeah. we feel like this is this this uh, is not uh, a competitive environment or gives unfair advantages. And now, and and they're the same people that are digging their heels in uh, on on the amateur model. And now all of a sudden they're saying they're going to allow athletes to benefit with all these stipulations. So it makes it feel like they're just. They're just understanding that they have to do something, yeah. and they are actually going to p- sort of pull every stunt in the book to make sure that athletes can't really profit from it. So I, I guess, are, are, are you skeptical or hopeful that, I don't know, maybe, you're, maybe you don't, I mean, where, where do you stand in terms of the reality of this? Oh, um, I, yeah, I think there'll be something because... They've let this thing go go too far down the road, and I just mentioned the what's happening in the states and the federal government for them not to do something. It's just a question of of what it looks like. And look, the collegiate model we keep going back. The collegiate model has been a moving target for decades, for seventy years or more. It is what the NCAA wants it to be, and they'll rationalize this. They started to rationalize it yesterday, you know, by saying this was allowed, and they'll call whatever is encompassed in this the collegiate model. I, I find the hypo- hypocrisy staggering. I had it in the last paragraph of my story. It should have been the lead yesterday. <laughs> when I looked at it, in, in the same building, think about this, in the same building in Indianapolis where NCA enforcement is trying to take down basketball blue bloods for paying players, they are thinking about allowing players to be paid. I mean, think of the incongruity of that. That is literally what's going on in that building at the same time. So what are we talking about? You know, I think they'll be allowed, you know, it's going to be complicated, but if you allow them to do endorsements, if you allow them to do commercials, you cannot cap it in any way, shape, or form because then that's antitrust. You know, that that's what this whole thing is about, that the critics of the collegiate model say that room board books tuition and cost of attendance, you're capping what they can earn, um, which, you know, the... The other folks say they get a lot. Yes, they get a lot. But I had a quote in there from Mark Walker, a representative um, uh, from North Carolina, when I presented that to him. And it said, it's, it, he said, it's pandering. He said, they should be satisfied with that. 
Um, there's a there's a lawsuit right now, the Austin lawsuit, that seeks to get market value for every player. So they've been backed into a corner legally, and this is what they typically do. The NCAA is not proactive at all. It's reactive. They could have worked with the parties that, that are there, including the players, a long time ago, but chose not to. And now they're in this situation, so we'll see. Dennis, did you see the tweet from Senator Richard Burr out of North Carolina? Uh, I did not. If college athletes are going to make money off their likeness while in school, their scholarships should be treated like income. I'll be introducing legislation that subjects scholarships given to athletes who choose to, quote, cash in, unquote, to income taxes. I mean, well, give look. me a break, dude. Like, this is the stupid – like, do people – does anyone – like, how hard is this <laughs> to understand that that's – Yeah, I've, I've, I, heard, I've heard this – this um, people talking about this. Are, well, if they earn money, then they're going to have to pay taxes. Yeah, and so yeah, you yeah. know, nobody, nobody's talking. Nobody's necessarily talking about uh, anybody earning a million dollars. In fact, if they do a group license or a series of group license licenses as a group, say the FBS players or athletes, it would be pennies on the dollar. And and yeah, they might have to pay taxes for it. I think people get caught up in the, the amount of money. First, we have to talk about the rights that they've been denied, name, image, and likeness rights that we all have out of the womb. You know, we, none of us, 0.01% of us may cash in on it, but we have that right. These guys don't have that right. Okay, that's one thing. Now we're at this point where they may monetize it in some form or fashion. Well, they deserve to do that um, because I, I, I told – who was I told? I think this was Bowlesby. I said, we've gotten here – because for years, for example, there was this ad campaign, the Buick Player of the Week. And this goes to the heart of the matter. And they would use highlights of whoever it was, Barry Sanders. It'd be a 30-second ad selling Buicks. Well, why shouldn't the player, who's the labor force, unpaid, by the way, get a piece of that? And that was going on for decades. I remember on the old ABC games, they'd have the Player of the Week, and $1,000 was donated in his name to a scholarship fund in that school. Well, that's all great and everything, but that's the player breaking his leg and busting his you-know-what to, to do that. And Buick's making money off it, the NCAA's making money off it, and the player's not. That's what this is about. And the thing that's so frustrating for the NCAA is that when Richard Burr comes out with uh, the proposal of that kind of legislation, when you are taxing the scholarship, not taxing any money that is obtained from right. uh, outside the school then you are and this would be violating one of the few, one of the guidelines that the NCAA released you are uh, treating the the student athlete as an employee of the university and it is so like the yep. the the breaking point and and the line that the NCAA won't cross is anything that would involve the schools or the NCAA providing payment towards a player I, I will say this in response to Burr. I think he'll be in the distinct minority because one of the reasons these state bills have become so popular is because they are a bi they are popular bipartisan across the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, because it's a can't lose political um, tool. Hey, student athlete welfare, I'm for it. I voted for it. Elect me in the next cycle. 
it's not it's not a partisan thing. If you look at all these things, it doesn't matter who proposed it. Republican, Democrat, it's getting bipartisan support. Look at California, 72 to nothing uh, before it's kicked up to the governor. And that's why these things, I, I think that's the thing the NCA completely missed. It was a group, it was very much grassroots movement. And when it got to that governmental stage, it was like, well, we can't stop this. You know, there's going to be, I don't, by, by July 1st, I mentioned Florida. There, I read somewhere where there are double-digit states now uh, proposing these bills. California has one adopted. What's that number going to be in on July first? So they had to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's let's turn our attention back to the field. We've got uh, Florida and Georgia in Jacksonville. The leader takes the front seat in the SEC East. The loser likely falls out of the college football playoff picture. Now, I think that Georgia, uh, we had higher expectations for the Bulldogs than what they have met so far, and I would argue that Florida maybe has exceeded those expectations. The distance between these two teams has shrunk, and it is because of uh, the way that both of these teams have performed. So as you're going into this game and as you're sort of tracking these competing storylines do you see the week off and this massive neutral site game being a a reset button for both teams or do you think that we will see sort of a continuation of what they've both become throughout the season i I think there's a couple things you mentioned it up top this is first and foremost an elimination game for the playoffs you don't think of it maybe as that uh certainly not for florida but certainly for for Georgia, but diminished because of the loss to South Carolina. But neither of these teams is going to be left out as a 12-1 and SEC champion. Right now, I, I can envision Florida as that team more than Georgia, and I'll tell you why. Um, you know, there's clearly more pressure on Kirby right now. This started at the SEC championship game last year when, when Georgia, Georgia completed a two-year run of not being able to sustain five separate double-digit leads against Alabama. How many bites at the apple are you going to get? Then they lose to South Carolina at home. Still inexplicable. This isn't some magic season for South Carolina. The Gamecocks are three and five. Kirby Smart, to, to fulfill this team's destiny, Kirby Smart must get this team to the playoffs this year. Forget the SEC title. He's done that. He's got to get them to the playoff. They were a top-four team coming in. Dan Mullen almost is playing with house money. Right now, at this moment, he has a better record in his second season than Urban Meyer. He's down to his second-string quarterback. They're succeeding with him. The defense gets back two huge defensive players as Jabari uh, Zaninga and John Greenard, Grenard, I'm sorry, um, and one of their best receivers, Ladarius Toney. I, I think they just go in and freewheel it in, uh, in Jacksonville. The pressure is definitely on Georgia. So you – you sound like um, you think that Georgia kind of has a lot to. Uh, this this could be a bad look. I well, guess. they can't they can't afford to lose. All all yeah. their all their dreams for this season are done Saturday if they lose. They're not going to win the East. They're not going to win uh, the SEC. They're not going to go to the playoff. We know that. Okay, so what are we supposed to make of Kirby then in year four? That story's yet to be written. But I I don't like the look going in of Georgia. Um, Jake Fromm is this month has thrown three touchdowns and three interceptions. And I know Kentucky was a quagmire. I get that. But he's only got nine touchdowns for the season. I think he's eighth in the SEC in touchdown passes. He had 30 last year. He's still completing 70%, but you know what's creeping into the lingo right now? He's turning into that game manager. 
You know, when, when around him, you've got Tua, you've got Joe Burrow, you've got all these guys in the SEC. And Jake Fromm, yeah, he's going to play in the NFL. Yeah, he completes a lot of his passes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's almost like perception-wise he's been lapped. And, and what does that mean against the defensive line that leads the SEC in sacks? Um, I guess an offensive line, frankly, that's having a, a really good season. I think that, in fact, I know they're fifth in sack rate. Um, in other words, they're giving up the by percentage the fifth fewest sacks in the country. I think that's a huge matchup in this game. But I, that, that's why I, I think almost all the trending check marks are going to Florida in this game. All right, so so uh, not just this season. I'm just talking about generally um, the state of these programs. Let's assume the stock price for Florida and Georgia are the same right now. Yeah. Uh, given the, the the long-term future, who are you? Whose stock are you buying? Are you buying the Florida stock? Are you buying the Georgia stock? Not I, this season, but but yeah. but long term. I, I you know right now. Uh, and this could change and, and would change, obviously, after Saturday. But right now, I'd take Florida because Dan Mullen is just getting started. Um, we know what Kirby Smart is and Georgia is in his fourth season, which is damn good. But they haven't broken through yet. And if if Florida keeps pace, this is going to be you know one hell of a, a cocktail party every year for the East. But he's recruiting what well. I think he went – I want to say his first two recruiting classes were uh, in the top 15. Part, you know, you know. Uh, and I think now, are they not in the top 10 or top five, Florida? No. Uh, they're, they're not. Uh, I can't remember. They're like 12th or something, maybe. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, that that's probably not going to get much higher than that. But I, I think right now, I uh, think. Let's see. They're currently 14th in the country. Okay. So about the same. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd take Florida. I really would. I man, I'm just gator hating all day. I, I is it crazy that I I just don't want to give up uh the the investment in Georgia Barton that you just you you understand that this year with changeover at offensive and defensive coordinator uh that you know some of the the shifting that we've had you you've spent a lot of time with Jake Fromm and you know you even mentioned the quarterback room's a little bit thin but if we are if we're talking about building moving forward if you are going to take a position of talent should trump all i still think georgia is on another tier talent wise yeah and i i might be um i i might be hesitating to try and try and be dissuaded by not quite meeting expectations because, you know, if DeAndre Swift comes out and runs, you know, 29 times for 165 yards against Florida and Jake Fromm goes, you know, a, a nice Jake Frommish 18 of 22 for mm-hmm. 275 yards, then all of a sudden Georgia's back to be in Georgia again. So I, I, who would you take Barton? I think that I would stick with Georgia. I, the thing about Florida is I, I just I have a ton of belief in Dan Mullen. I think Dan like as a coach Fair. and yeah. having his team ready to play every week, I, I think it's hard to to, to bet against them. But I, I do think that ultimately I am a talent trumps all guy. I, I am a certainly to a certain point, like once you hit once you are within the the fraternity of enough talent, then then maybe I start parsing 
you know, coaching styles or developmental ability or whatever. But uh, I don't think Florida is yet in the enough talent fraternity. Yeah, no, no and, question. And so I, I, I still probably lean towards the team in Georgia that I'm co- confident will have top five recruiting classes every year. And uh, and and they've proven they can get there. So I, I would probably still buy the Georgia stock, but that 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 hypothetical um, was based under the idea that the, the stocks are equal right now, where the reality is in, in a true stock market set, setting, Florida probably is you, – you're probably getting more value in Florida. Like I think Florida, the trajectory is, is pointing up more so yeah. than, 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 than Georgia's. And, that, and that's the point I was making. You know, look, yeah, Florida's a sum of its parts. They're not a complete team by any means. They're – that is a great coaching job going on there with, with Dan offensively and Todd Grantham on defense with all the, the injuries they've had. I, I was really impressed by their effort at LSU where they hung hung with them late offensively, uh, 28-28 in the fourth. And then, you know, I think LSU pulled – obviously LSU pulled away. Um, but if they ever get it together, which they will, they will max out there, whatever the max out is at Florida. Um, they're going to be very, very good. The max out at Georgia is, is much higher. But right now, like I said at the top of the of this discussion, Georgia has to win this game. Um, it, it'd be nice if Florida won it. Georgia has to win it um, because this is their destiny this year. Their destiny is unfulfilled if they lose. Wow. Uh, next week, you are going to be publishing a hot seat update on CBSSports.com. Uh so as as you're starting to look across the country and circle uh, the uh, the spots where we might be anticipating change, as you're having those conversations with those within the industry, uh, trying to figure out where the chatter is about potential turnover, are, are there any jobs, especially as we look ahead to some some of these coaches facing really big, uh, pivotal games in the next couple weeks? Where, where across the country are you probably the most interested in, at least in terms of where things could start developing one way or the other pretty quickly. Still interested in Rutgers. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to be interesting to see who they get. It's not a program that, you know, people are going to, you know, follow necessarily, but it's going to be interesting who they get. Does Chad, does Chad Morris make it through two years at Arkansas? Does Joe Moorhead take the Rutgers job? You know, I think there's some feeling there that, rumblings that he might be have soured on what can be done there the clay helton thing we don't have to talk about uh you know um jeremy pruitt i think is okay after what they've done lately a big one to watch i think is mark d'antonio because the bottom has just fallen out offensively there's some things going on off the field that haven't been you know the best that could happen there and look look, nothing's going to happen to manny diaz but that's a net disappointment in miami but, yeah. but is, with the Mark D'Antonio thing, are you saying that he would be forced out, or that he might just say, you know what, it's it's time? Like, yeah, is he, I don't are, know. Is he, yeah. is he on? Is he on the the hot seat in the traditional sense? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't pretend like I'm close enough to know that. I just know that there's some dissatisfaction there. Um, you know, he's going to be called to testify in one of these. Um, one of these trials, I'm not testified deposition. Um, it's just, it's just a bad look right now. Uh, he's been there, I want to say 12 years, I think, and has done some great things, but it might be time for a fresh start. No, I, I don't, 
I don't know if he'd be forced out. Yeah, no, I, I that's yeah, because I've heard his name floated around too, and and I, I guess I would be surprised if he if if he was if his hand was forced, just given what he's done at Michigan State. I would assume that if if it's yeah. if he leaves, it would be be because he felt like you know what it's time. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm unlike you, I don't have any firsthand insight there so I, I was just curious yeah i think yeah i think jeremy pruitt is okay i think willie taggart's okay for now lovey smith can ride that to another contract extension <laughs> what he did against wisconsin um maybe Derek mason too although this, that the missouri thing was was bad this feels like and and tell me if you agree or disagree but this feels like it could be a dramatically inactive coaching carousel season this year I, I yeah i thought I, I thought that from the beginning um when when willie taggart was really hot and it looked like you know things weren't working out there said so even with him look there were there were 27 uh coaching changes last year i think the record as long as i've been tracking it has been 31 so that's a lot um so that means 27 guys who aren't going to be fired this year we know that they're going to get a honeymoon period and a lot of guys in their second year who aren't either, just because schools can't afford it, or else there's, or else they're succeeding. So, no, I, I think it's going to be a pretty thin year. Clay, yes, you had, what, the one to watch is USC Clay Helton, and that could trump everything. That could, you know, demand the headlines till Christmas morning, uh, or, or or the not Christmas morning, the, the early signing day, whenever that is, December nineteenth, because they're going to have to get somebody before that. Uh, but other than that, you know, I, I don't know if there's any sure things. USC hosts Oregon this weekend. If yeah. USC wins that game, is that like like where where is on where where is the like Clay Helton is safe or Clay Helton is fired moment? Well, that's it's really interesting because that really creates a conundrum for a legion of USC fans that want him gone regardless. Um, and then it starts to harken back. Then they would be what six and three, and it starts to harken back the narrative that eh, they want a Pac-12 title, they want a they want a Rose Bowl. Um, there's progress being made, and if there's anybody that can lean on on injuries as, as an excuse, it's USC. But you know, new president, new AD. Uh, I think change is inevitable, but that could throw a monkey wrench into everything. That takes that you know that sort of thing that win by USC would take the Pac-12 out of the playoff um it would boost up Clay Helton at least for the moment um you know and and create some consternation at USC over the power brokers I would think Mm. goodness gracious um anything else you got your eyes on heading into the weekend Dennis uh just the the countdown to uh to LSU Alabama how bad is Tua is he going to play He's practicing, was due to practice on Wednesday. Uh, You know, I I think he'll play, but I think a lot of that is we have to go back to the playoff last year. We had, I think there were 22 days where he had the same tightrope surgery to get well. And then he wasn't, wasn't the same. He he just wasn't against Oklahoma was fine. And then I thought was really exposed against Clemson scheme wise. And that's when it really showed up where he couldn't plant on that left leg. He's a lefty. He has to plant on that left leg on his back, on his uh, back pedal. And this is on his right leg, which is different, but it does, it will 
I think from the people I've talked to in general limit his mobility. And I think a, a less mobile Tua plays into the hands of anybody they play. Fantastic player, may win it all, but you know, won't be a hundred percent probably for LSU. Do you think that Alabama would be able to beat LSU with Mac Jones? I, I don't. I don't know if they'll be able to beat him with Tua. Because yeah. I, I think, you know, I I think, you know, they're these teams are a lot the same. They look like they could play in the Big 12, and I, that's a compliment to them. Because when the defense the defensive parachute doesn't open, they got something to fall back on. And Alabama's this their defensive numbers, while not terrible, I think they're 17th in total defense, are the worst since Nick's first year in 2007. Uh, LSU, you know about. They have a great couple of All-Americans in the secondary, though. But... I think in a shootout, you know, neither neither team defends very well. Both teams run it okay. I, I think LSU can can win with Tua because of what I just described, if he's not 100%. But with Mac Jones, they're going to have to trick it up uh, like they did, frankly, with, uh, with Arkansas. I thought they showed a lot, um, you know, trying to create points, jet sweeps, screens, uh, running it more, that type of thing. But, yeah, I, I, I really like LSU's chances in this game overall, frankly. Mm. Feels he, like that's a, a opinion that's growing. I know. Yeah. I don't like I don't like it to which, I don't want it to be is, too popular. Scary, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a, a look ahead line out of Vegas had LSU as a six and a half point favorite, I think. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I don't like that. But. That- I jump on it, but I'm surprised. I'm surprised LSU's fate would be favored at all. No, no, no. Al- excuse me, Alabama as a six and a half. Oh, point you s- okay? You said LSU. Sorry. Yeah. No, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I'm. I'm going to stick by it. Tua plays. Tua doesn't play. LSU wins that game. LSU wins the SEC championship. Keep riding it. Yep. Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow. He Ocho. is. Ocho. He. <laughs> He is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. Dennis, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.